0: Welcome to News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, January 20th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. President Trump's legal team outlining their strategy as Democrats warn the president constitutes what they call the framers worst nightmare. And with the Iowa caucuses just weeks away, the New York Times endorsing not one, but two candidates for president, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. And outrage in Puerto Rico after the discovery of a warehouse full of supplies allegedly stored since Hurricane Maria in 2017. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the impeachment of President Donald Trump. President Trump's legal team has just filed its legal briefs, calling the impeachment, quote, flimsy and a dangerous provision of the Constitution. This as the president is blasting Democrats for impeaching him. Carolina Sarasa brings us the very latest.
1: In Texas, President Trump lamenting his current fate.
2: We're achieving what no administration has ever achieved before. And what do I get out of it? Tell me. I get impeached.
1: Now he's seen previewing for the first time their legal strategy ahead of his trial in the Senate. A six-page letter blasting the impeachment as dangerous, poisonous, brazen and lawless. Their main argument, they say the articles of impeachment are constitutionally and legally invalid because they do not accuse President Trump of a specific crime. And they called the impeachment, quote, a dangerous attack on the right of the American people to freely choose their president. His new legal team, a cast of Washington Who's Who and TV personalities, including former independent counsel Ken Starr and Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz, who already seemed to distance himself from the team's explosive defense of the president. The president's
2: brief filed last night says, very clearly the president did nothing wrong, and you're saying you're not willing to endorse that statement.
3: I did not read that brief or sign that brief. That's not part of my mandate. My mandate is to present the constitutional argument. Um, And if the constitutional argument succeeds, we don't reach that issue because you can't charge a president with impeachable conduct if it doesn't fit within the criteria for the constitution.
1: Democrats unveiling their strategy too, saying that during the now infamous phone call with Ukraine, President Trump asked the foreign government to interfere in the race for 2020 by investigating his political rival. They say he then obstructed Congress in what is, quote, part of the ongoing pattern of misconduct for which the president is unrepentant. And that President Trump's conduct is the framers' worst nightmare, writing he must be removed from office.
2: The facts aren't seriously contested.
1: Carolina Sarasa, U News.
0: As the impeachment trial ramps up, so does the race for the White House. We're just two weeks away from the critical Iowa caucuses, the first votes cast in this year's presidential election. Rafael Rodriguez has more.
4: The Democratic senators running for president, blitzing through key early voting states and making their final pitch before the impeachment trial begins.
1: It's mostly about um, getting out there at any moment you can. I don't need much sleep. Um, I can get by with very little sleep.
4: The schedules for the four senators in the race upended two weeks ahead of the Iowa caucuses. We've had to, needless to say, jiggle our schedule very significantly uh, because I'm going to be
3: spending a whole lot of time in D.C.
4: <laughs> Senator Bernie Sanders bracing for a busy Wednesday after the trial traveling 1,700 miles to make a nighttime rally in Iowa and then straight back to D.C. While those senators are serving as jurors, their rivals will be making their case to voters.
3: Mr. Vice President, how critical is a win in the first two contests for your campaign? Oh, I think just doing well
2: critical.
4: <laughs> In this critical stretch, former Vice President Joe Biden clashing with Sanders over his record on Social Security. Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
0: And with just a couple of weeks to go before the Iowa caucuses, the New York Times editorial board announced this Sunday. It's endorsing Senators Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. Let's go to Charles Zeldin. He's a political science professor at Nova Southeastern University to talk about this. Thanks for joining us, Professor. What reasons did the Times editorial board give for endorsing Warren and Klobuchar?
2: Well, for both of them, that they were the most qualified, that they were the ones most likely to get the job done. In terms of uh, naming both of them as opposed to one, they couldn't make up their mind. In essence, they have the same dilemma that the Democrats have in general. What is the best approach to beat Donald Trump? Is it a progressive message? Or is it a more of a hands-on consensus message from from more the middle? Uh, They couldn't make a decision, so they basically chose what they felt were the top candidates from each of the two lanes and basically ended with, may the best woman win. Uh, Professor, in expanding
0: on that, that leads to my second question. For the first time, the Times endorsed two candidates. Is this a reflection of a divided party? What's going on?
2: Actually, one of the things they pointed out is that they're not divided as to the objective. both 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 lanes want the same thing. Rather, where there there's difference is in means, methods, and timing. and the the uh, the Times couldn't make up its mind, couldn't decide which of those approaches was the best for the Democrats and the best for the nation. And so, in essence, they said, Here's your two choices, Democrats, you choose.
0: Which is interesting and critical since we're so close to the election. And we were mentioning. It's
2: it's not as helpful as it could be.
0: Yeah. We were mentioning a couple of minutes ago that we're two weeks away from the Iowa caucus. Could this endorsement change any minds in Iowa?
2: Not much. Um, What it does is give a, a news boost, a cycle boost to both candidates it gives them something to talk about on the campaign trail. More more accurately, it gives their surrogate something to talk on the campaign trail, since they're going to be both in D.C. for the next few weeks. Uh, you know, basically, they can say, "Hey, New York Times thinks we're the best in our lane, and our lane's the better one," and and see how that plays out. Uh, probably more influential be what the uh, Des Moines Register uh, decides uh, who to back. Uh, probably it has more clout in terms of shaping Iowans uh, views. But at this point, what, what the Times did was lay out the dilemma. We know where we wanna go, how do we get there? And who's the best one to do it? And they couldn't make up their mind on one candidate. So what they said was, here are the two best candidates to do that. And the choice is yours.
0: And Professor Seldon, the Times endorsement comes after Senators Warren and Sanders sparred over whether a woman can be president. Where do Americans stand on voting for a woman in 2020?
2: Uh, It's I think if you were to poll most Democrats, they believe that a woman can win, but it would need to be the right woman. It would be the right message. And, and the Democrats are a little gun-shy. They had what they thought was a woman who could win. They had, in fact, in 16, a woman who should have won, and in fact, did win the popular vote. So there's some there's, um, angst is probably the best word to describe it within the Democrats over the issue of a woman running. But in terms of where the Democrats are as a party, in terms of their messaging, in terms of where they're evolving, um, a woman presidential candidate and ultimately president is really where the Democrats are heading.
0: Well, thank you so much, Professor Seldon, always for your input. We appreciate your time. Glad to help out. Now let's go to Virginia, where thousands of people are attending a rally, a rally in Richmond. They are protesting against several proposed gun control bills ahead of the rally. Virginia's governor issuing a state of emergency after learning the crowds would likely include extremist crowd groups. Pablo Gato joins us by phone in Richmond with the latest Pablo.
5: Hi, how are you? Uh, Yes, uh, thousands of people came from all around the country for this demonstration in Richmond. Uh, We are uh, in a state of emergency, as you said. There was a massive uh, police uh, presence all around the city. Uh, Even uh, small planes were forbidden from flying around the area or drones, and there was a lot of security, both uh, uniform security and uh, non-uniform policemen. And basically, What the demonstrators are asking for is for the governor of Virginia not to uh, go ahead with the legislation that he's proposing regarding uh, gun control, which is basically to ban assault weapons and silencers, to allow communities to decide whether or not uh, to ban weapons in public places and to confiscate weapons uh, to people who authorities consider dangerous. These demonstrators say that they are law-abiding citizens, and they are using properly their guns, and therefore um, the government doesn't have the right, the, the right to impose these restrictions, but we have to remember that for the first time in a generation, the Democrats control all uh, the state, basically. The governor is a Democrat, the House is a Democrat, and the Senate is a Democrat, and they won, uh, and one of the pillars of their success electorally was uh, promising uh, gun reforms.
0: Pablo, and what are people at the rally saying about the possible presence of white supremacist groups?
5: Well, there was a lot of fear uh, from coming from the authorities uh, because we had to remember what happened in Charlottesville in, in 2017. Uh, a lot of uh, disturbances and fights, and even one person was killed. And uh, they were afraid that uh, white supremacist groups would take advantage of this uh, march and come here. And uh, all the people we talked to, Uh, they were very critical of white supremacist groups. They said that they were very frustrated that uh, they would uh, put uh, them together with uh, these kinds of groups, and they said that they had nothing to do with them. And even the Republican leader in the House uh, described the the white supremacist groups as garbage, according to his words. And he said that uh, Democrats and and Republicans uh, differ regarding gun control laws. But uh, all of them uh, criticized violence, so they definitely were not welcome in this march.
0: Well, thank you very much, Pablo Gato, reporting from Richard- Richmond, Virginia. Today, Americans observe a federal holiday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr., an advocate for nonviolent protests during the civil rights movement. The campaign to create a federal holiday in King's honor began shortly after his assassination in 1968. President Reagan signed the holiday into law in 1983, and it was first observed three years later. Many government offices are closed today, including the post office. Most banks are also closed in honor of the slain civil rights icon. In a stark reminder of growing global inequality, a report published Sunday reveals that 162 billionaires, including Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Amazon's Jeff Bezos, now have the same wealth as the poorest half of the world. There are more than 2,100 billionaires globally, and in 2019, they held more wealth combined than 4.6 billion people, according to the report. The report is published annually to coincide with the start of the World Economic Forum gathering in Davos, where high-profile policymakers and business leaders meet to discuss how to improve the state of the world. It's a small start. It's a small startup that's been flying under the radar company offering law enforcement agencies the ability to take billions of images scraped from the Internet and match them up with people. But it's an achievement that could spell the end of anonymity and privacy Juan Carlos Gonzalez has more on the clear view and its implications moving forward.
6: Clearview is perhaps the most advanced and invasive facial recognition app, and it's being used by at least 600 police agencies around the country.
2: It's happening now with this Clearview platform or technology that is utilizing um, facial recognition to match us to social media accounts with, with or without our consent.
6: It allows to scan a person's face.
2: Without us knowing, they're taking pictures of us, without us knowing, they're matching us to all of our social media
4: accounts, which are on the internet.
6: By matching it with about 3,000 million images on social media platforms like Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, for example, they can know everything about a person age, gender, address, his or her relatives, friends, places she attends, etc. According to the New York Times, this app is being sold to police agencies and security companies. And FBI and Homeland Security are already using it. But some cities around the country, especially those with large population, don't allow their police agencies to use this app due to privacy issues. This attorney believes whoever is using this app is breaking the law.
3: In my opinion, this is completely illegal. It's an invasion of privacy. It goes against the Fourth Amendment of the United States, which guarantees that before a seizure or search can be made, a judge has to sign a search warrant.
6: He says this is very disturbing.
3: What worries me the most is that the Trump regime will use this information to give it to the Department of Homeland Security, to ICE, which then in turn can invade the privacy of immigrants in the country. This is a grotesque version of Big Brother, because now local agencies will give the information to the FBI, the FBI can give it to ICE, and everybody's at risk.
6: But he explains that there's a legal way to try to stop it.
3: If you don't know that your privacy has been invaded, you can't do anything about it. But if you're a victim of this invasion of privacy, then you can file a civil lawsuit. And if you're subject of a criminal prosecution, you can ask that the judge dismiss the charges because the information was obtained without a search warrant.
6: The problem, he says, is that in some cases it could be too late. In Los Angeles, Juan Carlos González, U News.
0: The Trump administration is proposing revisions to the federal school lunch program, a program that feeds 30 million students. Critics warn those changes could increase the amount of junk food in schools. Peggy Carranza has the details from Passaic, New Jersey.
7: The current school nutrition rules that require fruits and vegetables and were promoted by former First Lady Michelle Obama could soon be relaxed. This would increase the serving of burgers, pizzas and french fries in schools, warned the critics of the plan. This pediatrician who developed a nutritional program at the Kind Care Center says that letting students choose their food is not recommended. He will take chips, the They will choose chips, cookies, juices instead of water or grains, said Mariana Boscan. The proposal by the Department of Agriculture announced on Obama's birthday allows schools to cut fruits and increase the serving of potatoes and granola bars. There is still too much food waste and that more common sense flexibility is needed to provide students nutritious and appetizing meals, said his secretary. This student admits not to like the current school menu. What I like the most are sandwiches, but sometimes they serve rice and beans and I don't like that, said Chanel Nunez. Nearly 14 million children suffer from obesity and Hispanics have a high prevalence according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Here in our office we see children from 10 to 12 years old with prediabetes, high blood pressure and all that brings health complications, said the pediatrician. The proposals will be entered in the Federal Register on January 23rd and will be open for public comment for 60 days. In Paseic, New Jersey, Peggy Carranza, U News.
0: There's a tense situation at the border between Guatemala and Mexico as the latest migrant caravan makes its way north. Central American migrants that were camping at the Guatemalan side of the border were able to cross over to Mexico over the weekend, according to Mexican officials. That number, more than 1,000 and counting. Some local reports suggest that many more could eventually make their way north. Further north in Mexico, 10 bodies were discovered Friday inside two scorched cargo trucks. The attorney general's office of the Mexican state of Guerrero said in a statement that the first five bodies were taken to the medical forensic service for identification. Once ID is achieved, the attorney general's office says the victims' families will be contacted. The statement says nothing else is known about the case at the moment, but the governor of Guerrero has ordered local and state authorities to prioritize this criminal case over others currently pending. In other Latin American news, Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaidó met with Colombian President Iván Duque in Bogotá Sunday. The meeting was first announced by Duque on his Twitter, official Twitter accounts. The Colombian president said several topics were discussed during his meeting with Guaidó, especially anti-terror efforts and the Venezuelan crisis. Duque also said that U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will join them today at the Hemispheric Summit Against Terrorism. More of U News after this short break.
1: Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're gonna be able to go
5: back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting.
1: Officials in and out
0: of the residence. We're gonna continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Actress Re- Rebel Wilson showing off her weight loss in a new Instagram post after calling 2020 the year of health. A Sydney-based personal trainer posted Friday a photo with the Australian actress saying he was proud of Wilson for sticking to her New Year's resolution. The actress has long been an advocate for plus-size women. In 2017, she launched her own fashion line Rebel Wilson X Angels designed specifically for sizes 14 to 24. And speaking of New Year's resolutions, Michelle Obama is here to help you keep your 2020 fitness goals. The former first lady recognizes it's about that time of year when New Year's resolutions get a bit harder to keep. To offer a little inspiration, she shared her go-to workout playlist. The playlist is made up of 36 songs and features a range of artists. The tracks include hits from Lizzo, Kirk Franklin, Nipsey Hussle, Bruno Mars and It Cheerin. She says these songs give her a little boost, the little boost she needs to get through her toughest workouts. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.